Hi, I am Martin. I have been involved in EYP since 2011 and I'm still active, so people call me a living fossil sometimes. The way that this works for me is that I think I've been uh, reinventing myself. I have been a chairperson and squeezed all of that that I could. I've been uh, a vice president a lot. I've been I've been doing juring in the last year, which I haven't done before, which, yeah, by the way, anyone who feels like they need a new challenge, you can challenge yourself in new ways in EYP. And I've also, I think, taken a lot of the growth that happened to me outside of EYP into EYP, such as with nonviolent communication, which is a thing that I heard about from an EYP or practiced a lot in my private life and to the point where I then came back to it into EYP and delivered like training modules at members trainings, uh, at sessions and stuff like that. So yeah, that is me. This other NGO I've been flirting with a lot more <laughs> recently. Um, they, they're called Zero Generation. They're really, really cool. Um, I guess, I think I was telling Joel about this a bit, where you can kind of describe it as it's, if you think about EYP vibes, but for people who are more between 20 to 35 and less about this and less about the individualism and trying to rise to the top and more about just the chill environment connecting and doing cool shit. So it's that kind of stuff. We, we did this like lovely leadership training, a whole bunch of different modules on communication and different areas and stuff. Just chilling on the campsite, running modules that are each like three plus hours long. <laughs> oh, wow. It was, it was really legit. That that is really taking proper time to delve into something mm -hmm. yeah. imagine mm -hmm. having modules so long that you can take breaks in between just because you've allocated the time for it literally so uh, our modules were three and a half hours with a half an hour break in between just just one <laughs> well there is a, a half an hour coffee break that is set there and when you need to do pauses and stuff you can and well the way that we run our modules anyway is not going to be very lecture heavy it's going to be very much activity based reflection based and so during that you have plenty plenty of pauses and like downtime right that that would probably be needed and then like a big a big big difference i found from there to eyp is every time we do a training in eyp you start from scratch right you're like okay what are we going to be doing this time Okay, so there are these different things that we tend to focus on, but how are we going to do it? What is this going to look like? Whereas there, for example, for the past decade, they have their agenda and it's like, okay, this is what it looks like. Let's take a look at this check from the feedback do we need to change stuff and then do we need to change what type of modules are going on and how they work okay cool and then we each allocated certain modules and then we have a look at the handout that was prepared for the previous year and we say okay well from that handout is there anything that we want to actually change from it any things we want to add are we going to change this or do we actually like it the way it is and then you look at your outline for your module and you say okay this is how it was run in the past do you want to run it the same way or do you want to change it so a couple of them, we completely pivoted, but then a couple of them is like, well, there's actually some really decent stuff in here. We're going to keep most of that and just change it around and add this and add that. So it's always kind of building upon that knowledge each time and keep maintaining that. 
Right. Whereas like each time when I come in EYP, I just have to be like, okay, so we're going to do a module. Uh, I don't know. Let's decide. Let's do some FIRO stuff. Let's do some what is a chairperson. Let's do some, I don't know, committee work structure stuff. Let's think about what, what we can dive into for team building. But like when we're doing this, we're kind of thinking from scratch and saying, okay, what are all the different ones I've seen? How do I want to do this? How do I want to build these modules? As opposed to kind of having things there already lined out for us. Mm. Yeah, I think I think I th that you get a little bit of this carryover when you have one person delivering a module multiple times and then they check the little notebook and go like, how did I do this last time? What do I want to what do I want to change? But like structurally, I think you're right in that people are trying to conserve things for next year training they've tried to preserve handouts but then next year it's new trainers they don't get access to the handouts from last year and they start from scratch again although i think in eyp doing something like that would be really challenging like it could work in terms of like t4t for example but if i was given like a session training and an existing framework that someone else did the chances are that i'm gonna look at the kind of names on that thing and i go Nah, I'm gonna do my own thing. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's that's that's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine to look at it and say, you know what, I'm gonna do my own thing as long as there's already something there to say. This is a way you could do it. This is a way you could structure this. This is a way you could structure that. It's kind of like saying team building activities. Most of us don't do the team building activities exactly like the way we've seen them in different handouts or guides or or alele.io. We tend to change things but you have a base there to kind of go from and any changes you want are going to be meaningful to what you need uh, uh every now and then i get this glimpse of information we should just do like a tell from sessions guide to church training or a random document because i don't know eyp is eyp has a very long history of creating this uh guides and whatever's pdfs for check out the members platform it has a guide section <laughs> Yeah, but everything there is like at least five years old at this point, and it would be interesting to do something else. But then again, we've been also talking a lot about doing similar guides, guidelines for in a non-PDF format, and that, that's a whole different thing then. But yeah, taking the time to make these kind of things are tiresome at least. Well, there's, there's new effort actually coming on that. I received an email, it's actually just two days ago, so nice and relevant, uh, Emilio's. Uh, contacted me from the uh let's see he works in the io yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, from the io and he's now starting to work on a digital eyp training course nice and kind of reaching out to see like what i was already doing on that and i kind of mentioned that uh joshua um had already been working on some cool stuff on that as well so it looks like now the thing is is that yeah in eyp i know that's that's how it does happen each time is that you have individuals who have these ideas who start to run with it and we try to implement some stuff and it kind of goes from a couple of sessions and it gets a bit of it comes out a little bit here a little bit there but then it's only really when the io starts to standardize something or say okay now we have this resource and start to share it out to NCs and stuff, that's actually when something actually starts to stick and help out a lot more in UIP. Yeah, I guess, like, I listened to the podcast episode um, with Chris Trapp, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Trip, Chris Trip, no trap. <laughs> it's a trap. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chris, wherever you are. And the way that he talked about it, that, like, in 2007, he just did a thing. And then enough people who went on to other sessions kept going with it 
And that is how stuff happened, how new things were created and implemented throughout the network. But it was so much smaller back then. Like back then you could get enough of a critical mass at one session to carry the, the seeds of your imagina imagination throughout the network. And now I think just the, the, it's too big. It's just too big to have one or two sessions convince enough people that this is a good idea. Like there's so much inertia from the rest of the network. Sure. But there's also like these events do happen that you just see like a chairs team and a media team. And if you look at the people from that session a couple of years later, every one of those will have been in the leadership of multiple events or at least a big part of it. So yes. maybe it's also just like luck on which session you end up doing that does that. Well, that's also fair. Especially if you're fantastic Mr. Trip Trap and doing <laughs> IS, big ISs. Mr. Trip Trap. He has a new name. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's funny. <laughs> we roll with those. And when I... When I was over in Greece, that was one thing that I was actually thinking of a lot, and maybe it's quite relevant for this chat here, which is a lot of the a lot of the leadership training stuff that we did are things that are incredible to learn as leaders that don't focus as much on what we do. Well, that that we don't focus as much in EYP sessions. So some of our communication sessions that we had um, in EYP, our communication sessions tend to focus very much on feedbacking on debriefing and like very very much like structural tools to use to work with the group to get something done but it doesn't really focus too much on that individual level of how do i actually communicate in a positive way with other people and i know martin like you're really interested in like non-violent communication like that that side and i feel in UIP, that's some kind of part that we don't really tap into too much because it's not it's not just like a tool that you quickly get, you quickly implement, and this is what we're going to carry out in this session. It tends to be a little bit more gray than that. Which is also really important because a lot of the times, especially when we go to leadership, as Nathan's forum was, or your training camp was about, it we, we don't necessarily tend to use these tools as much, as much anymore of like, feedback and debriefing in when you're in leadership a lot of the time when you're communicating with your the rest of the leadership it's crisis management and that that's a very different kind of thing which I, is an environment where i think especially nonviolent communication which is something that's come up repeatedly through our our past episode recordings is something that we should look more into which is why we have martin yay hi i'm martin i'm here <laughs> But first question is why non-violent? Why, why don't we just be violent with our communication and shit? Yeah, fuck you, I Nathan. Mean, it gets it gets the shit done, right? Do you want me to ask <laughs> you this honestly? <laughs> Wait a second. There's there's now open up the PowerPoint presentation. No, so we can I, see uh, the, the intro slide. Uh, there is a giraffe. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> why is it purple? <laughs> no, 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 no. I um you remember when Yoda said that fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. I think I, I wouldn't... How do I say this? I wouldn't agree with this 100% in that fear doesn't necessarily need to lead to the dark side. But yeah, no. Violence hurts people. Like, people get hurt. And how about they don't? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that is like the essential thing. Like that is that is why I think the non-violence because people get hurt. I think one important thing before we delve more deep into this is what is non-violent exactly? Because it's not just like the absence of physical harm as most people would probably understand if they hear the word violence. It's going to be you punching them or like lotly assaulting them with your words if if that would even be counting as violence for some people. Oh yeah, I mean, I would say that punching people and hurling abuse towards them uh, verbally is is violence. I, I would agree with that. I think... Oh, this is this is a bit hard. I think at the core of of this are two ideas that lead that are on the step before we start throwing fists or insults, and that is uh, number one: this idea that other people are responsible for the way we feel, and so if we feel bad, we blame them for it, and then when we blame someone else then it makes sense to, if you make me feel bad, it makes sense to change you in a way, even violently, because that is the only way I can fix my own state of being. And then the other thought, and that is one that I think especially fuels anger, is that we pass a certain judgment of this person makes me feel bad and therefore they deserve to suffer. That, that idea of justice coming in. Yeah, of justice, of vengeance, retribution, readjusting, like the, how do I say this? Rebalancing the status of people because if you make me feel bad, then I must be lower and smaller and therefore to re reconquer the balance i will make you small and and weak and i will hurt you like all of these things are like the fuel of the violence according to the people who invented nonviolent communication <laughs> is the disclaimer i always need to put here um <laughs> But it has, I have found quite some truth in this while practicing nonviolent communication. I will say that. Definitely. Yeah. I can definitely relate to um, within EYP. I remember that the, I think I've been having like lots and lots of discussions on one part of that in EYP, which is around the feedbacking and understanding that feedbacking is there to help construct to help um to help build somebody's awareness of something in order to help them grow and feedbacking is not a tool for justice <laughs> it's not a they did this wrong i need to feedback them on this mm -hmm. it's like hold on a second when you say you need to feedback is what you're gonna say gonna help them grow or are they in a situation in which that isn't going to be constructive and it isn't going to help them grow then the only reason why you're really telling them that is because you feel that they need to be told this because they messed up. And that's this idea of seeking justice, of like realigning. And I think within the feedback culture in UIP, we we do actually tend towards that justice side quite a lot. Really? Has that been your experience? Mm -hmm. Like if, if we're in a session mm -hmm. and somebody's messing up or somebody somebody's going through quite a lot in that session and maybe they don't have the capacity to receive feedback and yet a lot of their actions are impacting other people in a negative way or are creating obstacles or things like this from the leadership side i've always heard well we need to feedback this person they need to be aware of what they're causing oh 
Oh yeah, no, that's and bullshit. Exactly. So you see, <laughs> when we go, with, with that lens, like in that, we can maybe many people listen to this can relate to that from an EYP side of it's like, okay, this person's messed up. We need to feedback them. So, whoa, 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 whoa. When you're saying you need to feedback them, you're saying, I want to support their growth. Okay. What does supporting their growth look like? If they do not have space to receive feedback right now, then it means I'm not going to overload with them with something that they cannot receive right now. It maybe growth actually looks like, let me take something off of their plate in order for them to to go through the session in an easier way and then for me to have more open conversations with them and then at the right moment then we can start to share some observations um maybe go through some of these needs etc to understand that on a deeper level but it's not i need to give them this feedback because they've messed up no no i mean i think it comes from a good place of wanting to like well we're here to help people learn so when they do something we think is messed up or when they do something we think could be done better, we will tell them about it so that they can be aware and grow from it. But I think we we agree that there is a time and there's a place and there is a way. And I would say sometimes growth is you somehow scramble through the rest of the session with what you have and afterwards you have a long chat about it. What? worked what didn't what went wrong what went really well i think there's also a kind of a boundary there that gets messed up messed up with there are things we need to intervene in a session like if we see that a chairperson is like severely damaging the experience of delegates if we find a chair an experience inexperienced chairperson yelling at their committee like that is something that we need to take action towards. It's not going to be initially true feedback, hopefully, but more of as a preventative, let's try to make sure that this situation doesn't cause any permanent damage to anyone. And then mm. ha- then try to create this kind of situation where feedbacking is more appropriate. But those things tend to get missed up. Mm-hmm. Okay, then. So throw that one over to you, Martin. If let's say, oh, no, go ahead. I would like to keep building on this. I think what nonviolent communication is about as well is that we are not just supporting people's growth, but we're also investing in relationships. Like when I choose violence to express myself or to get people to do something, there's a really good chance that they do anything they do out of fear or out of resentment. And there is a hell of a price to pay for that later down the line. Whereas if I communicate nonviolently, if I manage to create a setting where my communication, my feedback, my whatever is a gift to them and to us, because it allows us to do things in alignment with what we both need, then relationships grow and they prosper and that is an investment into that as well so then with that in mind based on joel's example of let's say let's say you're a vp you're going around the different committee rooms checking in to see what's going on and there you see certain behaviors of a chairperson that you feel is going to be damaging towards the delegates that they are speaking over the delegates, that they are directing what should be happening, that they're not giving, let's say, the praise or the attention that the delegates need for what they're actually doing well, but more just kind of being quite harsh with them. Um, you want to intervene, you want to have a conversation. If you want to use the non-violent communication approach, what, how, how would that conversation look like? And what would that be different toward, compared to somebody who isn't using that approach? 
All right, I think it'll be easier to jump into the violent approach first. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think the the movie in my head right now for the violent approach goes a bit like this. You look at the chairperson and you mention with the eyes like, hey, outside now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Clint Eastwood look. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, listen up. The way that you handled the situation was terrible. Like you shouted at the delegates, you did this wrong, you did that wrong. That is not how we do things in EYP. What I need from you, or actually this is already getting a bit into nonviolent communication. <laughs> um, not observations, it. needs, you know, it's just... <laughs> yeah. No, okay. Okay, let's get worse than this. What the fuck are you doing, you fucking idiot? <laughs> You think these uh you think these these delegates are having a good time right there while being shouted at by you? Who do you think you are? Like <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Switch it up. Get your Martin shit together. Violence. <laughs> this is as violent as I can be on the like on the spot. <laughs> I like that. It's <laughs> uh, a bit oh, embarrassing, oh. but it's fine. <laughs> On some of the episodes, when we have like a beautiful quote that comes out, we kind of we realize that we need to make T-shirts with this quote, uh -huh. and so <laughs> that needs to be a quote. Martin chose violence. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, wow. Mm -hmm. Cool. <laughs> Let's contrast this with a more nonviolent approach to things. Step one would be to make an observation. So the observation is something like, like it, the more specific, the better, kind of. So it would probably be instead of Clint Eastwood style outside now, you would probably approach the chairperson and go like from the side, hey, can we talk for a second in a calmer, more friendly way? And then it would probably start out with the observation, which is something like when I... Uh, watched you just now I saw xyz blah 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 the things you described I saw you interrupting delegates I saw you speaking really loudly or maybe even I saw shouting who this is a bit of a hard example to start with but we'll make our way through it because usually the way that that a non-violent communication practitioner would handle someone who's obviously agitated and not in control of himself or the situation would be first to listen to what is going on in the other person because that ha makes them much more receptive to our nonviolent feedback afterwards so probably it would start with a conversation about how how is it not necessarily how is it going but in some way probably would be like hey how how are you feeling right now how are no, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How is it going? Then that feels like a leading question to a lot of people who are not used to the process. But like, you can even say, tough example. I think the goal in the first part of this conversation would be to get them to the point where they can openly admit, hey, listen, I'm trying to get the delegates to listen to me, but they're not. Or I'm struggling for control. I'm struggling for respect. I'm I'm not having the impact on the committee that I'm hoping for. Or I'm so stressed out because I have this kind of image of what I want this resolution to be, but we're not on the path. We're not there on the path where we would need to be to reach that goal. Or I had expected 
my delegates to be much better prepared and they're not. And I'm just really frustrated about that. I think the first part of this conversation would probably be about that, getting to figure out what, what is going on in the chairperson that leads to this behavior before jumping into what kind of what kind of change we wish to see from them as a side and note there as a side note there i think that's a really interesting approach also in the sense that that's something that we don't necessarily try to facilitate beforehand but could spend a lot of time before the team building actually starts talking to this uh, to our team members about what are your kind of goals for the team or at the end of the team building they like what how do you see your goals panning out and what are the possible kind possible pitfalls that you could encounter during the way that you could then not have to establish that entire connection around their feelings on the spot but already have something to refer back to that they could then also use to communicate this better to you because i feel like a lot of people will struggle to communicate this if they were put on the spot in the situation. Oh yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. And I make it a point when I am in leadership positions to ask my teams in the beginning of sessions, what needs to happen at this session so that you leave feeling like this was a success for you. You can for sure go into more detail than that with regards to either the work with your delegates or even certain session elements. Like what is it that you're really hoping to see at the end of team building? What is it that you're really hoping to see at the end of committee work? I think there's a lot of valuable conversations to be had. And I think you're exactly right. The more we have these conversations while we're calm and relaxed and building that connection there, the easier it gets to work in the moment because we are in the leadership aware of what is going on in these people but also they themselves have maybe verbalized something that they haven't verbalized before and can work with that much better afterwards so we've established what their kind of emotional situation in that what their struggle is what, mm-hmm. what do we do next yeah very interesting very very interesting so the thing is Classic nonviolent communication. Oh, we're, we're jumping in with this really advanced example anyway. Classic nonviolent communication example. Let's say we are, Joel, let's imagine for a second that we are in a leadership together. <laughs> uh-huh. Imagine again. Uh, and we have to organize a training together. And I ask you for flip charts to bring to room 207 or something. And then I am there and I need those flip charts to come in while I hold my module, but they don't. And then I have to improvise on the spot and I'm waiting and no no flip charts appear. And after the module, I'm like really annoyed because I was relying on you or stuff like that. This is maybe a more straightforward example. And then I could come to you and be like, Joel, when I was in, when I was delivering that module, I was feeling, okay, step one, refer to the concrete situation, maybe an observation. So when I was doing that module, was waiting for the flip charts, I was getting really agitated. Step two, feelings big pitfall here is that, okay, step one in the observations, the big pitfall is that we share observations that aren't really observations. Like we could say like, when you betrayed me or when you let me down, and those are very human stories, but they're not actually concrete actions that we can refer to. My my trick here is that I imagine what would a fly on the wall who's just completely 
foreign to any kind of human concepts of, yeah, what would they understand? What would they see? What would they hear? What would they feel? Maybe not feel. What would they see? What would they hear? It's probably the best. So they would see me giving a module and waiting for flip charts and those flip charts not appearing. So that would be my observation. And then in the second part, it's the, it's the feelings. So then I would be like, I, I started feeling really agitated and a bit annoyed. By the way, this actually is a completely fictitious example. I just feel like I need to point that out. <laughs> the flip charts were there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, step two is sharing the feelings about this. Biggest pitfall here is once again, sharing things that aren't feelings. Stuff like, I feel like you blah, 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 or I felt disrespected, which is like a big, a big interpretation as well. And it's, it's really challenging in the beginning to find actually good words for feelings. Side note, practicing nonviolent communication really expands your vocabulary for feelings and stuff. Nathan is nodding. Uh, Joel's <laughs> winning. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a fun time. Like, uh, I must have been well, some um, almost a year ago. Uh, my coach gave me this. Uh, she was she constantly asking me about how, how does X make me feel? Like, what kind of feelings does that bring up in me? And I was really struggling to express those things. And she gave me this wheel of emotions. Oh, that's a good uh, one. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, on Nathan's <laughs> phone right now, and that 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 really was an interesting eye-opening thing. Of oh wow, there's a lot more to this than one that's not too attuned to communicating in this way. Would assume. Yeah, very much right. So that would be then the second stage. I would tell Joel that I was feeling agitated, maybe nervous, maybe scared, probably annoyed, and then the next step is. And this is, I think, the crucial part, like probably the most important part of nonviolent communication is you don't say you made me feel this. You say when you did this, I felt that way because I need or because I need it. It's not the other person that is causing my feelings. It is the unfulfilled or fulfilled need inside of me that is fueling this feeling and whatever the other person does is just triggering it. And when we think about it like that, how can we blame other people? Like, sure, we can when they on purpose trigger us. But like, these situations are so rare. Like, most situations in our lives are people without any malice, without any intention of harm, doing things because they're trying to meet their own needs and then while they stumble around in the dark, they hit us in a way. I think that is the gift that nonviolent communication gives us, that we can take that as, oh, wow, they didn't mean to, and now I get to tell them how it would be better for me. And no, just, uh, and that is, that actually applies to most situations in life, has my, has, that has been my experience. Yeah, and I find it re really, really interesting, especially the side of asserting the needs. Because the needs is something that we don't really think about because it can be on that deeper level. It's that what is the motivator behind what's actually happening? There was this module over in Greece I was doing on conflict management. And one of the things that we were looking at was this model that I cannot remember to the life of me what it's called again. <laughs> 
but it was uh it was basically looking at your needs versus the other person's needs from your perspective so let's say if we're having a conversation let's say we're having an argument about something right um we're saying we're we're starting our eyp session coming up soon we're both in leadership team we're, we're designing the training together and i don't want us to do fyro and you're like but they need to do fyro and so we're going to have this discussion here from my perspective there are my needs and there are what I perceive as your needs. And then I could pay attention to one or to the other or to try to work with both. So let's say if I'm really focusing on my needs and I'm really highlighting that, but I don't really care about yours, then what I'm starting to do is I'm starting to compete with you. And I'm trying to show why this is so important and always raising my side. If I'm focusing on your needs and I... I kind of like half acknowledge mine, half like I acknowledge that mine are here, but I'm like mm, that's not as important as what your needs are. Then I'm I'm uh, appeasing you. I'm there, there's a better word for it. I forgot what word we normally use, but like yeah, I I start to I start to appease. I start to uh, push down my own needs to make sure that yours are going to be met. But on the other hand, I could let's say focus on your needs without even taking a look at my needs whatsoever, which is avoiding avoiding conflict completely or just kind of realize you know both of us have different needs and we're like okay well since nothing's going to work for both of us let's try to find a compromise and both feel shitty in the middle or uh, eventually what we kind of talk about as the the better solution is the cooperation side where i consider my needs to their fullest extent i consider your needs to its fullest extent and then we work together to cooperate based on that so it's not someone kind of pushing down their needs and saying, you know what, I don't have to have this this time. I can take it. It's okay. Or it's not saying, well, I really need this. So I now need to like argue over you and convince you why this is awesome. But it's the full acknowledgement of this is my needs. These are your needs. So let's collaborate and understand whatever output can actually satisfy our needs. Yeah. And obviously and that, for that, we need an awareness of needs. Exactly. And that is also something you really learn in practicing this quick quick what is the biggest pitfall here i think in needs what people can fall into really quickly as well is i need you to do this i need you to do that <laughs> and we've been working so hard so far you know instead of saying you asshole didn't bring me the flip charts we go into when you did not bring me the flip charts or when i was giving my module and waiting on the flip charts we're kind of taking down the conflict level we're de-escalating we're making this a statement that no one could possibly feel attacked by like this is a factual description of what happened there is no personal attack in there second step the feelings we share are just our feelings like very openly very honestly very vul in vulnerable in a way but at the same time assertive in the way that we take the space for them and are like no th these are worth sharing and listening to but like not i feel like you did this but I felt sad, I felt angry, I felt nervous, I felt afraid, I felt all these things. That is also very non-aggressive, non-violent. The third step then, if we now go into, I need you to blah, because I needed you to blah, 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 bam, we're right back in the fighting mode. So the idea here is to really either share what your wish is or was, I was getting annoyed because I had this really cool idea of what to use these flip charts for in the module and I couldn't use them. And then when it's this, 
we make it easy to relate to the other we make it easy for the other person to relate to us as well. So this might prompt Joel to go as well, oh yeah, man, if I had a really cool idea of what to do with flip charts and then I didn't have them when I needed them for that, I might get annoyed or sad or angry or whatever too. I completely understand. And I think that is also one of the beauties of this approach is that we get to have mutual empathy. And then the last step, step number four, is optional it's sharing a request like in this case it might be would you next time something else comes up because i assume joel didn't just uh run down the hallway like an angry gremlin or like like a mischievous goblin being like hey, i'm not gonna give him his flip charts he's gonna be so mad <laughs> um, but what usually happens is that something else comes up like there were other things that were also important. And so my request in this situation might be something like, next time something else comes up, would you mind shooting me a message so that I know not to expect the flip charts? Or would you get someone else to do it if you can't? And so, yeah, this is then the moment where we can make a request. And also it may be that the answer is no, and that's fine. Like. That is also the beauty that when we are in the space where my needs are important and have been listened to, and then the other person maybe has also needs and they can be like, you know what, that wouldn't work for me, but I hear what it is that you need. Maybe we can figure out another way of meeting this need that works for both of us. That That is that is the goal here, right? So this would be a normal or yeah, maybe a more straightforward example of nonviolent communication, maybe for, for all the listeners out there, maybe let that sink in for a second before I jump back to the other one, because there it gets messy. <laughs> Pause the recording here. <laughs> <laughs> and so as you were going through those four steps, and there's like two of the steps in particular that, are, that a lot of them are about vocabulary. So when we're thinking about the feelings, it's true that we don't have as wide vocabulary or as precise to talk about those feelings. But the more precise we can be with that with that vocabulary, the the easier it is for us to recognize what these feelings actually are and actually well, then sure. start to act upon them. Yeah. And the same thing with the needs. Oh yeah, for sure. Needs, there's such a vocabulary out there. And so like what I'd definitely recommend to people is just search NVC feelings or NVC needs. Can we can we attach stuff to I I we can also attach like the wheel of feelings. And then I have like a little handout thingy that I took from the book where like we can attach that for people to look you at. Can f you can find some links in the episode description. Yeah, perfect. Because yeah, you got so, like, I, I just like search one, for example, for needs. And, you know, it, it's when you start to look at them, it's like, yeah, like I have a need for stability. I have a need for consensus, for, for inclusion. I have a need to be see, uh, no, to see and to be seen, and uh, there's a lot of these that you can kind of read through. And you're like, oh, actually, yeah, that's what I, that's what I need right now, and that's that's what's causing me to feel this because it wasn't actually met there. Yeah, and I, what I also really love about this is that when you realize this is what I need, then suddenly you're empowered to do something about it. Like you know what to look for, what to do, what to ask for. I think that is really helpful. And yeah, I have already used the word, but empowering. And it's, I think, empowering in a different way than to just say, there is a place for going, this person is toxic. So what I need to do is throw them out of my life. Like, <laughs> 
there is there is that but i think the conversation is so much richer when we get to the point where we're like well when i am with this person i feel like this because these needs of mine are met or not met and then even if the decision is i need to let them go or i need to like then what else if i know my needs i know what i need to go for what i need to look for what i need to ask for and that is such a gift. Um, I find it really interesting. I, I think you're right that like just in terms of pure vocabulary steps, like the steps with the feelings and the steps with the needs are the the ones where you need to find the most new words. I want to say that in the observation and in the request, there's also like language specifics to work with that need practice. Yeah, like cl clean clean language, right? But within coaching, they refer to it as clean languages. Is the language that can be as neutral as possible to actually describe things in a factual matter and not to try to throw in loaded words or narrative yeah. within things. Yeah, that that is really important for well for any stage, but especially for the observation and and also the request in a way. And then also, I think what a lot of people stumble over in the request is that they make negative requests. Like, would you stop that? Would you not do that? And it's, it works so much better when you can ask for something that you want done instead, like, and as concrete as possible, like, instead of, would you satisfy my need for connection? It can be, would you hug me? Or like, if you give them like, yeah, if you give them a way that they can satisfy your need, instead of just saying, would you, as my request, satisfy my need? That is um, not really something people can work with so well. Yeah, I see. See, ever ever since Martin started talking about this to me, I've started noticing so much of this unclean language mm -hmm. in UIP. Do you guys have any examples of what you remember of you've noticed people? Uh, what I see a lot is people like assuming other people's motives, for example, and using that as a way to communicate something. Do you guys have any examples that you remember from your UIP journey? In, in my mind at the moment, I don't have examples per se, but a bit about what you said there of assuming people's motives. I think it's not just a thing of, oh, it's easier to assume someone's motive and we just do this. But I think there are certain incentives in UIP that actually push us to do it. Because imagine you're sat on a leadership team and you say to the others, okay, so this person is doing this. And if you can explain their motive behind it, suddenly it makes you look like somebody who really knows their shit and mm -hmm. who, can work, who can do all of this. Whether it's true or not, you still kind of get the credit within the leadership team around this so i feel our our leadership structure and the way that the incentives are built around may even push some of us to actually assume other people's motives and discuss plans upon that especially within these leadership circles as opposed to actually taking a step over there to listen to what's actually going on which makes it a, even more valuable what i said earlier about establishing these kinds of communications about what, what people's goals are before the session or like at the preparation stage of the session because then you have actual information to give to the leadership instead yeah. of your guesses i think how do i say this I think most of the things that I see in EYP are also just general humanness. Like I wouldn't say that it's specifically about EYP, anything that triggers people into being especially violent. I think it's very like we all come from cultures 
or ways of speaking and thinking about the world where it like it's so ingrained to like as as well like guess motives or assume motives or like even that is already a step ahead right where you are like well they're only doing this because blah 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 that's already further than just saying oh my god fuck that dude but of course that also happens and it's it's very human i yeah it also really makes sense from an evolutionary perspective that that's an skill that we needed back in the day like why are people behaving in a specific way in a hard hunter-gatherer society it makes sense that our brains grew attuned to things like that just like Mm. facial expressions yeah yeah for sure how many episodes have we been shitting on other people and other nc's and other sessions (laughs) each time you between me and joel always like using very violent communication and not recognize any needs or just being like we chose violence Mm -hmm. we chose violence it was not me it was you all along (laughs) (laughs) so yeah even though we we kind of like preach all this stuff and like really into this stuff uh like literally in our episodes we are doing the complete opposite uh okay we're not doing it to their face we're doing it behind them but still so much better Because we don't get to see the impact, you know? It's awesome. Mm. <laughs> I mean, like, I think this is something that also gets misconstrued about nonviolent communication a lot. Like, it's it's okay to be angry. It's okay to, to want to shit talk. It's okay to want to, like, to feel the anger coursing through you and want to do all the things you do. I'm, I'm also not perfect, of course. <laughs> I think there's a time and a place, though, like... It's one thing to shit talk people and it's another thing to process, okay, I had this experience and these were the needs that I had and that were or were not met or this is what they're doing and I recognize in myself that I'm reacting this way or that way because I have these values or those values that are not being met or fulfilled or whatever. And maybe other people have other values. Like that's sometimes also fine. That's most of the time also fine. Like I remember being an organizer and being annoyed at fellow organizers way back when, because my value and my importance was I want to run this event really smoothly. And then there were other people who are like, my value here is to have a lot of fun, meet a lot of people and uh, party every night. And that's fine. Like there is a space for that too in EYP. Just don't come to me the next morning complaining about how tired you are. Like that's then. Because <laughs> <laughs> if not, Martin will choose violence. <laughs> nah, no, I, did, I didn't even choose violence. I was like, okay, I need to not be around you for like half a day. <laughs> I think that's a very in- interesting tangent there. That I, This is what I really associate with a part of this well-being drive that we have in EYP right now of we try we associate the value of everyone everyone's value for the event should be to learn as much uh, perform as well as possible but some people's value is to have fun and meet people and that's okay and our well as valuable as having well-being initiatives is it shouldn't impose on other people's 
goals for the session, which I find it sometimes uh, starting to do nowadays. Yeah, it is definitely hard to find the right balance. Like it, it is a conversation to have at the event. Like what is the vibe we're going for here and how does everyone feel with that and stuff? Yeah. What were you going to say, Nathan? Um, have, have either of you two um, done or implemented any kind of NVC training or things around that in UIP before? Yeah, I've given multiple. And how, how did that go? What, what was your uh, kind of view on the impact on the session? It's tough, I will say, because I don't think it's uh, you do one training in this and then you're ready to go out into the world kind of thing. It It's something that needs continuous practice before it really has an impact. Like it's it's cool. It might help people catch themselves in one moment of judgment. Like if you give them a half hour to hour training at the beginning of a session, you maybe have two or three moments where they otherwise would have chosen violence, where they then don't. But I also think sessions specifically are such a tough environment to really get into it and start your practice of nonviolent communication because there's so much other shit going on. Like there's so much to do, so much to process, so much to conceptualize and implement and debrief and feedback. And I don't think, I mean, it's, it's nice, but I think it pales in, in comparison to the impact it can have when people actually practice this in their regular life to the point where it becomes ingrained in them or it becomes easily reachable like that it becomes an easy choice to make. I think the most valuable application of this in sessions is when people find themselves in the situation of frustration because there's a lot of shit in sessions that goes wrong. And if you can find yourself in that situation and stop yourself and then try to use this this kind of NVC nonviolent communication to resolve that situation instead of letting your emotions to get the get a better of you. That's one way to alleviate the pressure from the situation. Of course, there are other ways, and UIP tends to tends to push you to find coping mechanisms for this kind of situation. So, how do I deal with high pressure fuck up situation? Well, that's that. Nonviolent communication could be a good tool to give someone that doesn't have the tools to deal with this yet, or could would want to develop their tools further to then use this. I will say that sometimes we see glimpses of it, even though it's not an official nonviolent communication training, like even just in a chairs meeting. I speak from the perspective of academics because that is what I've done most in EYP. Someone just saying, by the way, let's remind ourselves this is a session, things will go wrong, but no one here is your enemy. The organizers are trying their hardest or are doing what they can to make this event a good experience for everyone involved. Let's be grateful. And if even if just that seed is planted, I think people will more easily be like, okay, yes, there are struggles, but I know they're not. Like, I think as soon as you just enter the headspace of not just, well, they're fucking with my plans, but instead they are also people, they're doing their best, they are trying and maybe some things go wrong, but let's appreciate the thing, like the effort that they put in. I think that very fast already puts you in a space of nonviolent communication without you ever having had any training in it. Yeah, I like that. Uh, when I used to work for Apple, we used to have a 
something we used to say a lot, which is positive intent. So everybody has positive intent. And then our job is to find out what is that intent. Because everything else kind of gets really cloudy. It's easy for us to judge, to act, to do things. But our first goal is always to discover what the positive intent is. And maybe just a small activity or exercise like that at the beginning of a session could be awesome. Where, let's say you have already pre-built three or four different little scenarios where it looks like somebody's causing havoc. But then, like, different different teams, like, mi mixed officials' teams have to then go through these scenarios and find out what is actually the positive intent in this. So that way, from the beginning of the session, what they're doing is they're seeing things that they would normally see as, okay, this person's just fucking shit up, and diving a bit deeper into what are they actually trying to do and why is that a good thing? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that leads to very similar headspaces and outcomes as formal nonviolent communication practice. Maybe not to the same level of awareness of emotions and needs and all the beautiful training of vocabulary and self-expression <laughs> and understanding of other people that comes with that. But for session contexts, it might be the better tool. Like if we're talking about what do I give people at the beginning of the session so that during the session they can have the best. So, so, so the takeaway yeah, here is really that NVC is an incredible tool, but it's not necessarily a tool in which somebody could be ready to learn at the beginning of the session, implement it, and be really cool with that tool. It's a, it's a lot more of a long-term development tool as something that needs many different touch points, many reflection spaces. Whereas if you want to get someone closer towards this kind of methodology, then focusing on that awareness of other people's needs and what are they actually going through and that this kind of idea of positive intent could be more suitable for our kind of sessions. I when would it comes have... to training, perhaps. Yeah, Maybe. I want to put I like would... a small caveat. Okay, no, no, you go ahead, Joe. No, I would definitely approach this also from like a, what do we try to learn in EYP from a training, CMO training perspective versus what do we try to learn in EYP in a more grand scale? Because if you, of course, if you're trying to gift this to people, in a half an hour time period or an hour time period of course it might be not necessarily the most suitable for long-term development but if we try to then take our own personal growth into account then this could be very useful even much more much more in intensely useful than the positive intent thing and if you then do your own research and try try to practice this on your everyday life, which I would argue that's also super super helpful. As I'm sure Martin would would agree, finding everyday uses in that is a wonderful thing. It could be could be also used in the sort of concept that came into mind. It would be to have just like a reading club, either for just a bunch of EYPers or like your leadership have an NVC reading club with the leadership before the session so that you can already try to come up come up with a common way of communicating for the session. Oh, that is such a good idea to use, like to implement nonviolent communication already in pre-session work so that you can train it up a little before the session starts. I think that is a much better place for it than just a half hour module shoved in somewhere between. I also want to say that um, my point is mostly that like after one half hour module, you will not be smooth at it. You will not be 
like as i said it takes practice to make it a smooth thing but that doesn't mean you can't use it like if you want to do that it's fine but just give people the handout that we're going to attach in the show notes because then you can refer back to it and be like okay step one is this step two is this step three is this step four is this and i think it can have a space when it's very intentional like when you could theoretically use it for buddy group meetings you could use it for if there is a big conflict happening in a team you can really be like okay let's go through these very formal steps i know it's clunky as hell and we're not used to it but we're referring to the sheet cheat sheet and we're making our way through and by the end of it we'll have a good result i think that is a way that you could make it work even within a session context and i would also really like to actually jump back to the first example you gave me nathan which has still been unresolved so i think what i would do is actually assume positive intent assume that this person is working towards a good goal here which is a happy committee with a good resolution and everything and i would i think center the whole conversation as much around their needs as possible like okay so you were hoping for really prepared delegates they're not and that fucks with your vision of getting a really academically excellent resolution gotcha what can we do now to get you as close to your need in this as possible i think that is a much more helpful approach than going into well when i saw you shout at the delegates i felt anger or whatever because though that is not how i see eyp it's not what i need to happen in committees whatever we're adding to the to the load of the chairperson if we express all that in the situation i think and it's that's not like looking at what our goal here is as from the leadership perspective it's to have make everyone have as smooth an experience as possible i think i would not do that i would not be like this is how i feel about all this shit but instead i would be like hey what's going on i i know that we selected you for a reason i know that you are capable of growth i know that you know this is what's going on these are the the vision this is the vision that you have for this committee and you're struggling and that's okay but what can we do to get you one step closer to this vision that you have and that i as a fellow eyp or most likely will actually share in some way and even if not that's fine and i will also say that obviously anyone who gets this idea after this podcast that this podcast episode that nonviolent communication is something that they want to try out they can go for the structured approach like they can seek that out on purpose and this is not a training module no it's not exactly but if you want one call me Okay, yeah, I, I guess for, for people who can't see, who can just like hear when we're talking here, I did decide to turn up to the podcast topless. It's hot, okay? It's hot. I've opened my window. And it's not helping. It's, it's really not helping. <laughs> it's not helping on the intensity side. It's not helping on the heat situation. It's just, yeah, I guess it's a, you know, like when there's a big fire going on and you have a small cup of water and you just throw at it anyway. You know, it's not much, but it's honest work. That's what I feel like this is.